Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN Radio. You know, we get to talk to the best of the best on this radio show. If you happen to have a dog or a cat and you listen, I'm very lucky uh, because I get to go to veterinary conferences all over the world, in fact, but all over the United States for sure. And at this point in time at the American Veterinary Medical Association convention and ran into Dr. Kate Muir's. She is the Dean of Medicine at North Carolina State University College of Veterinary Medicine. I've known Dr. Muir's for a long time, but we rarely, if ever, we're trying to figure this out, have met in person, <laughs> even though we have this great history together, which we'll talk about having to do with heart disease in cats. You're a Dean of Cats. That, 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 not, that's not quite right. That's not what you want to hear, but you have been a champion for the feline side of veterinary medicine for as long as I can remember. That's right, Steve. I'm so honored to be here with you today and also to work with you in person, see you in person. It's been many years. And I'm a veterinarian, and I love all animals, of course, and believe in providing the best health care we can for all animals. But I am secretly, or maybe not so secretly, in my heart, a cat person. My very first pet was a Siamese cat that I got at three years of age. Her name was Lily, and uh, I have loved cats ever since. And uh, I really, as a dean of the College of Veterinary Medicine, one of the things that I really want my mission to be is to improve health care for the cats around the world. I love the Morris Animal Foundation. They're great. And for people who don't know what this organization is, they fund studies for animal health, dog health, cat health, but not only companion animals, equine horses, but wild animals. For a while, they ran the Gorilla Project in Rwanda. They were involved in Australia as far as when the wildfires hit, mm-hmm. and they provided a whole lot of dollars to help save so many animals. But what they primarily do is fund research. And so much of what we know about the health, I'll stick to dogs and cats, but it goes beyond what Morris has done. But years ago, I went to the then uh, executive director of Morris Animal Foundation. I said, okay, I just got your annual report. You actually spent more money, and this is, I believe, literally true, funding llama studies than cat studies. And she said, yeah, and, <laughs> and worked to make a big change for that. Why is it the cats, to some extent, I think it's changing a lot, continue to be the Rodney Dangerfield of pets? They don't get respect. I think that's very true. And I think People that are cat owners love their cats very, very much. And cats are very independent and and so unique, and they all have their own incredible personalities. But one thing, they really don't like to go to veterinarians. They don't really, most of them don't enjoy getting in the car and getting in the cat box, which we need when we transport them for their safety. And so I think some of the issue with doing uh, research to improve health care in cats is that you have to be able to see enough cats with with diseases and study whether the drugs are working and study their symptoms. And as as a cat owner, I know that my cat really doesn't like to go to the veterinarian. So I am less likely to bring it in to see the veterinarian. Cats go to veterinarians much less frequently than dogs. And I'm much less likely to participate in a research study that might mean my cat has to come see the veterinary scientist mm, several times yeah. a year. 
because I feel bad. I love my cat. My cat's telling me he doesn't like to go to the veterinarian. And so I think I don't want to put my cat through that. As veterinarians and veterinary researchers, we also, I think, shy away a little bit from those studies for the same reason. We know your cats don't want to come and see us. And, and we know that it's going to be, could be stressful for them to be there for two hours and get there. So I don't really think it's that we don't think cat health research is as important or that there's a sense that cats don't need people to understand their diseases as much as a sense that it's more stressful for cats to be part of those studies. And it has, I think we've gotten better about this. Now we know you can give cats a little bit of gabapentin or something and we can train them to be more comfortable in cat boxes. There are better ways to transport them. So it's gotten easier, but you're right. For many years, there was very little work done. And now the, the focus is changing in so many different ways. Uh, veterinary medicine, uh, I know I talked about this at this conference, how to get a cat into a carrier and how to talk to clients about that. That means you who have cats, that it's possible to do. After all, a carrier is just a box. That's exactly right. And there are several, veter- many, many veterinarians these days that specialize in just cats and have cat practices and set those practices and those hospitals up in ways where it's a much less stressful experience. You don't have to go to a cat's only hospital, but I just want to mention that that is an option for some people. I do think we've gotten much better at what we call fear-free handling around cats, making them feel more comfortable with us. We just understand cats better now than we did 20 years ago. And I think veterinary medicine is adapting to the cat. And that's a good thing. I think it's a great thing. And the, the other thing is that at some point in time, probably when you went to veterinary school, most of the classes were dog centric and the cats are not small dogs, as has been said. That is exactly right. And I will tell you a little bit of my history. I graduated from the University of Wisconsin in 1990. And during that time, I took my, I took a part-time job while I was a veterinary student for one of the very first feline practitioners in Wisconsin, Dr. Alona Rodin. Alona Rodin. Yes. Oh my gosh. She was one yeah. of the very first people. She's and the best. She is the best. And she was the, one of the first people that actually had a practice that just specialized in cats. And she was a member and I think then became president of the American Association of Feline practitioners, veterinarians that specialize in cats. And she really um, started driving that whole effort forward. But that was 1990. And in the early 90s, that was just when we really started thinking cats are not just small dogs and we really need to study how to take better care of them. So what do we need to do as cat parents to uh, – oh, I don't know um, – Uh, Because we love our cats. Those who have cats love our cats. But what can we do better to enhance their quality of life? Yeah, so that's a great question. I, I do think, just like us, that regular medical care is, is a very important thing to keep your cats healthy. And just like us, they should be seeing a doctor once a year. I don't agree. I think twice a year. Okay. All right. At least twice a year. I think that's uh, really? excellent. I stand corrected. Yes, I, I think you're absolutely right. You're and absolutely explain, right. But when we come back from the break, yes. we'll explain why. It's a first on this show. I'm okay. right. 
So we'll explain why that is possible that I am right, uh, that our cats and dogs, for that matter, yes. too, should be seeing a veterinarian twice a year. And- we'll also bust some myths that people have about cats. And later, I want to talk about what is the most common reason cats from about the age of two to about the age of 10 die. And you might be surprised at what that is. We'll talk about all of that when we come back with Dr. Catherine Mears on WGN. Talking with the Dean of North Carolina State University College of Veterinary Medicine, Dr. Catherine Mears, who yourself has studied all sorts of different things as a researcher. In cats, what can we do? Now, most people are keeping their cats indoors. Mm-hmm. Probably, at least in my view, I don't know what you think, a better thing. Certainly our cats are going to live longer if they're better, if they're indoors. But what can we do to enhance, as cat lovers, their quality of life? You know, what we find about cats is they're very secretive about not feeling well. So um, we know that cats get arthritis just like we do and dogs do. They get significant heart disease. They can get significant stomach and intestinal disease, even dental problems. But different from people and dogs, they often don't tell us that. They may sleep a little bit more, um, stay in place a little bit more, but because they're cats, we often don't notice those signs. They don't, they're not, they don't go on a regular walk with you or do some of the activities that a dog might, that you might pick up on these signs. And they're built to mask pain, aren't they? That's an excellent point. They are built to hide any signs of of physical weakness. And so often what we find in cats is they hide any sign that they're not feeling very well until it's very, very advanced and they can't hide it anymore. So by the time your cat is telling you, I hurt, that cat's been hurting for a while. That's exactly right. And in some cases, unfortunately, at that point, it may be too late to really be able to help them in a significant way. Depending on what the cause of pain is. And one of those causes of pain, so it was thought at one point in time, cats are small. They're little. They don't get arthritis. But now we know through someone I think you know rather well that indeed they do maybe, maybe, maybe more often than dogs. Who would have thought? That is exactly right. And I worked very closely with Dr. Duncan LaSalle, who's the world expert in assessing and treating pain in dogs and cats. But deep down, he is a cat lover. And his biggest concern is how can we take better care of cats that are in pain? And how can we recognize it better? Because cats don't tell us that. So Duncan has actually done all sorts of different ways of how can we monitor and detect pain earlier in a cat that might have arthritis or some other problems going on that lead to pain? Yeah. So he talks to veterinary professionals at conferences like the one we're at about this very topic and then how those veterinary professionals, private practitioners can communicate all of this uh, to cat parents who may not know that a cat staring off into space seemingly might be in pain. A cat that's kind of scrunched up might be in pain. Uh, a cat who's uh, got ears back and whiskers drawn back, just sitting there innocuously seemingly, might be in pain. Who would have thought these are signs of pain? The way a cat goes up or down stairs, diagonally, instead of just straight up and down. That cat is probably in pain. And that list 
goes on and on. That's exactly right. Even things like a cat that chooses to use a ramp rather than jump up and down or use stairs can be signs of pain. And I think these are things that, as you just explained, Duncan can help people recognize for their cats. But also, he's trained veterinarians that if you bring your cat in to see them when the cat is presumed to be healthy, they can do an orthopedic exam, flex their knees and their paws and see how flexible they are and how normally they respond. So when they come back a couple of times a year and on a yearly basis and are reevaluated, that veterinarian can detect, oh, this, this cat seems a little bit stiff and is not flexing normally. This cat may be in pain and now it's time to think about how should we be treating it for arthritis or some of its other problems. So some number of years ago, I've never talked to you about this, I don't think. I had an idea. It wasn't my idea. It was a veterinary behaviorist in Australia who was doing this, uh, what she called kitty kindies, mm. and bringing kittens into veterinary clinics early in life, exposing them to all the smells and sights and sounds of a veterinary clinic, also, more importantly, socializing these kittens even to other species, so bringing dogs that are obviously cat-friendly into the kitten class. They're like puppy classes for kittens, very different actually, in many ways. But the notion is to get the cats accustomed to going in a carrier, in a car, and then to the veterinary clinic, or generalizing maybe even anywhere, and being okay with it. Good idea? I think it's an outstanding idea. And actually, it's one of the things that we teach our veterinary students. So at North Carolina State, the the veterinary college, we have a four-year program. And during that time, veterinary students take a special course in feline medicine. And one aspect of that is working with an owner on how to teach them with a new kitten, how to not be afraid of the cat carrier, and really make things like the cat carrier, the car ride, going to see the veterinarian, part of their normal life that that cat is not afraid of. So I love that idea of starting as a kitten or sort of kindergarten age and really getting them used to this is the normal routine of my life. And it also, I think the other thing, a good reason to be prepared for those type of things is if you ever have to move or there's a storm or a hurricane, these days we worry about things like floods and you have to evacuate. Being able to get your cat very comfortably into its cat carrier and into the car and off to healthcare professionals or getting away to where you need to be in an unstressful manner, is so important. Yeah, I mean, many people have told me stories where the air raid sirens go off, so that loud sound is scary in of itself, potentially. And cats are nowhere to be found because then they see the carrier comes out. That's exactly right. And what what an awful thing. You knowing that you have to evacuate and your beloved cat is hiding from someplace and you can't even find them. So I think it's so important that that cat trust... uh, Trust us and trust these tools we use, like the carrier, getting in the car, and going to see professionals. If you can, aside from the fact, okay, see your veterinarian, give one piece of advice to a cat parent, just a couple of sentences worth. What would it be? Something people might not think about. I'm thinking about, I'll give you a hint, enrichment maybe. 
and oh. how it's not important but necessary. Yes, I think that's such an outstanding idea. You know, cats in the wild spent a lot of time outside where they may, they could hunt and chase things in the grass and chase bugs and be very active. We know in most situations, it's not safe for a cat to be outside unless you've built a, a very, a cat corral with the screened a in porches, a catio, unless you have a catio. So now you really have to create things within your household that will keep that cat active and enriched and excited. Things that it can look out the window and see, toys that it can play with. And some of that may mean you being involved with a laser pointer or toys to interact and engage with that cat. All right. Well, I want to talk when we come back about the disease that, and you might be surprised at what this is, that impacts more cats than anyone would have ever thought, probably more adult cats than anything, something you've worked on. I want to know where we are with what this disease is and where we are with it. And we'll find out when we come back with Dr. Kate Muirs on WGN. Next week on the show, I am very excited about this. Vicky Santo will be here. Yeah, we'll reminisce about Ron Known to anyone who listened to WGN Radio, known to anyone who followed the Chicago Cubs, but also known to an entire community in a way which you might not have heard about before. I'll talk about that with Vicky and what he did in his lifetime for children with diabetes in particular, and what he is doing now with the Ron and Vicky Santo Diabetic Alert Dog Foundation, and how these dogs are performing miracles, really, every single day, saving lives. And I am not exaggerating. Vicki will be here to talk about that and what she's doing now, uh, which I'm sure includes horseback riding, which, how do you do that? She's in Arizona. How do you do that in the Arizona sun? She'll explain that, too. I'm looking forward to a conversation with Vicki Santo next week. I am so excited Dr. Kate Muirs is here. She is dean at North Carolina State University College of Veterinary Medicine. And, you know, we were talking about the disease, and you might be surprised, friends, that is responsible for more deaths in indoor-only cats than any other. If the cat is between the age of about two and approximately 10 years of age, I think it's heart disease. That's exactly right. And this is a disease, generally, the most common heart disease would be something called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, or some people call it HCM, because hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is a lot of words to, to say. But it is, can be a lethal disease and very common in the feline population. Now, there's a very similar disease in people. So sometimes I'm talking to a person about their cat and they tell me, oh, my uncle had that disease or people know that. And it's often an inherited disease, not always, but most commonly an inherited disease. So you might see it in your own family and you may see it in your cat family as well. All right, so let's talk about what this disease is first off. This is a disease that when a cat is an adult, so generally two years of age or later, and two years in a cat is probably, if you thought about us in our 20s, getting through adolescent, young adult, where the heart muscle starts to thicken abnormally, and it thickens inward into the heart, which means there's not a lot of room for your blood to flow in and out of the heart. And how do you know your cat has this? 
Unfortunately, in many cases, it's silent for a long time. So your cat may not show any symptoms of this. Now, there might be, I'm, inter- I'm sorry. To no, interrupt. no, no, please. There, there could be two reasons for this. First of all, as I understand it, mm-hmm. uh, one reason is the cat may feel perfectly fine. And the other reason <laughs> is, as we talked about earlier, cats are great at not telling us they're perfectly fine, they mask illness. That's exactly right. And so in most cases with this disease, the cats will not show any signs until the heart is pretty abnormal. The walls have really thickened. The heart is not functioning very well. And that's when the cat may feel maybe a little bit weak or tired. They just feel more tired. And sometimes they'll feel short of breath. And for some cats, those signs are displayed by hiding. So your cat retreats a little bit from the family. Maybe it's hiding under the bed or in a closet because it doesn't feel very well and it doesn't quite know what to do. But we don't want it to get to that point. That is exactly right. And that's why seeing having your cat see its family veterinarian on a regular basis, perhaps twice a year, is so important that they start as a kitten, if you get them at a kitten, and keep going back on a very regular basis. And that way, when your veterinarian puts on their stethoscope and listens carefully over their heart, they may hear what's called a heart murmur, meaning there's a little bit of abnormal turbulence in your cat's heart. And that can be the first sign that the heart muscle is getting too thick. Now, here's the crazy thing. A kitten especially can have a heart murmur and be perfectly fine. The other thing is even an adult cat can have a heart murmur. And so then what happens? So the veterinarian says to the pet parent, you've got a heart murmur with this cat. And the pet parent says, oh, my gosh, now now my heart is beating 100 times a minute, right? Because I don't know what's – so a heart murmur in of itself is, is a sign something could be wrong, but not necessarily. And I'm going to layer more on this. Is that in part breed dependent? So if there's a heart murmur and it's a Maine Coon cat, am I more concerned than a heart murmur and say, a domestic short hair? Yes, that, those are such wonderful points. So a heart murmur really just means turbulence. That Just like there's a, the water going through a hose is a little bit abnormal. In this case, the blood going through the heart is sounding a little bit different and it creates some turbulence as it goes through the heart. Now, sometimes that can mean the cat's heart is abnormal. If the walls are too thick or in a kitten, it can be normal, just a sign that that heart is developing. Sometimes very excited cats, they're very nervous. They're there at the veterinarian. Right. Their heart is going very, very fast because they're, they're, they heard a dog barking in the waiting room. <clears throat> Sometimes that in itself can cause increased turbulence. So the veterinarian really has to think about your cat and what they heard last time and how that cat behaved last time. And is this heart sound, this heart murmur new? Is it different than it was before? How is your cat's heart rate? How excited is the heart? Um, and then, as you said, is it a cat breed that is at risk, particularly high risk of developing this disease? I mentioned that this disease is often inherited, and we know some breeds of cats have a high risk of having this disease due to a genetic mutation. Maine Coon cats, ragdoll cats, sphinx, 
Scottish Fold, Devon Rex. There, there are many of them. But if your cat is one of those breeds and your veterinarian hears a new heart murmur, that would make the veterinarian more concerned that it might be sign of heart disease. The reality is there's no way to know for sure unless they do additional diagnostic tests, um, which can include sometimes a blood test, but most importantly, an ultrasound of the heart to, to diagnose it for sure. Now, those are expensive tests and sometimes add more stress to the cat. So your family veterinarian has to work with you and talk about whether they think this heart murmur could be due to excitement or other causes, or if we really should think about seeing a cardiologist because they're concerned that this could be risk of heart disease. Well, the good news is we know more than we did. So at one point in time, I had a cat named Ricky, and Ricky had hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or HCM. Found out in an interesting way, Ricky happened to be a well-known cat back in the day because Ricky played the piano and did all of these other behaviors. I could take Ricky anywhere. So we were talking about encouraging cats to go into the carrier, how to do that. When we left the house, Ricky would scream at us if we did not take Ricky with us. I have so many stories of how we went to the bank at one point, mm-hmm. and the bank guard guy said, I thought we were going to be busted. He said, is that real? He thought it was some sort of toy on my shoulder. <laughs> because then, even now, but especially 25 years ago, who took a cat to the bank? And what cat played a piano? That never happened. So at one point, I got yelled at by my veterinarian saying, you haven't brought Ricky in. And she didn't mean Ricky for an exam. She meant Ricky with the piano. So we brought Ricky in. Ricky's in the exam room, and he does his improvisational jazz on the piano. And exam rooms at veterinary clinics, they're always small. There's enough room for a technician, a veterinarian, couple of family members, and maybe a Great Dane, you know, that's all. <laughs> but here, there was everyone in the waiting room that was in, because they, they knew about Ricky the Piano Playing Cat. The staff, every veterinarian, every technician was there. Ricky did his improvisational jazz, and everybody applauded how impressed they were that you had all these people, and dogs included, in the room. Ricky didn't care. He just played the piano, had a great time doing it. After his little concert, everyone began to file out of the room. The first thing the veterinarian happened to do was put the stethoscope on Ricky. And I still get choked up. She made a face I could still see today. And sometimes knowing stuff is not good because I knew what was coming. And we'll tell you what was coming. We'll tell you what she said. But we'll tell you how this cat has made a difference for other cats and My guest right here, Dr. Mm -hmm. Kate Mears, has done the same. And we'll talk about that when we come back on WGN. Back with Dr. Kate Mears on WGN, we're talking about hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, a kind of heart disease in cats. I'm talking about my personal story with my cat. And there are different things that can happen once it's diagnosed. It was, she heard the murmur. We went to the veterinary cardiologist, Dr. Michael Luthi, superstar in the field, who happens to be in the Chicago area. Had the ultrasound, and yeah, it was hyper. But at that time, you could give a drug called atenolol. You could do some other things. He chose atenolol, but there wasn't much else that could be done. Today, I don't know that we're all that much better. I want to back up one step. 
for cats that are diagnosed, our cat about a year and a half later suddenly died. Just sudden death. That's one thing that happens. But not always. Sometimes the cats live out a normal life. But can you talk about the other things that can happen? Yes. So uh, one, I just want to say Dr. Luthi is a lovely person. I've worked with him as well as a a fellow cardiologist, wonderful man. And uh, But as you were talking about the different symptoms with, with this disease, what's interesting is it can be everything from a cat that has the disease that very mildly progresses and can live a normal life um, to cats that die suddenly, as you're describing, or cats that gradually develop a heart that doesn't work very well anymore and they go into what we call congestive heart failure where fluid backs up into their lungs and they struggle to breathe. And the other thing that can happen is that they almost have a stroke. So they form a blood clot in their heart that breaks free and can go to their back legs and paralyze them. So all of those are awful things. And that's why this is really such a tragic and devastating heart disease. However, for at least some breeds, you said, I think I could find a genetic defect that occurs in these breeds. And indeed, (laughs) you did. So one one more thing before I let you talk about that. Uh, after Ricky passed away, we began the Ricky Fund with the Win Feline Foundation, now called the Every Cat Health Foundation, same organization. We've raised a half a million dollars or so, which in cat health isn't bad. We have funded you and, and others uh, to better understand even what this disease is because back then it wasn't fully understood. Now we're looking at potential treatments, and what you did was say, hey, we know some breeds – anecdotally, know that some breeds are more likely to get this. Let's demonstrate if that anecdote is indeed true and if there are genetic defects in those breeds. And you did that, which saved, has saved, continues to save so many lives. Oh, well, thank you. You know, I think as a veterinarian and as a veterinary cardiologist, we would see these cats with this awful heart disease and talk to owners and family members like you, and it was so devastating that we really thought if only we understood what caused this disease, then maybe we could do a better job treating it. Because the drugs, atenolol you mentioned, were drugs that we discovered might help the heart disease, but really didn't work on the disease itself. And so from doing some reading and looking at this particular disease and what might cause it, we thought, well, it does follow certain breeds, perhaps it's inherited. But we had to find a way to do the research, and research costs money, uh, particularly for cats and dogs. There is no National Institute of Health, NIH, to fund those things. So we depend on foundations like the Wind Feline Foundation, now Every Cat, and the Ricky Fund to provide the money uh, to drive that research forward. And that was critical to being able to do that. And it funded the supplies and the chemicals. And even in some cases, it paid for the diagnostic tests for affected cats to come in, be diagnosed, and give us a little bit of a DNA sample for us to study. And by doing that, we discovered the genetic mutation that caused the disease in Maine Coons, Ragdolls, and now, at least in some Sphinx cats. Now, that doesn't solve all the problems, but what we at least did by finding those genetic mutations is it helped us understand 
how and why the disease develops in some cases, and that helps us find better ways to treat this disease. And there has been some good progress in developing for treatment as well. So at one point in time, I was told feline infectious peritonitis, FIP, no way, no way that will be anything but considered fatal. And because of this organization, this nonprofit that I'm proud to say I'm on the board of, the Every Cat Health Foundation, and researchers like you, uh, now it is considered treatable. Are we going to get there with heart disease in cats? Yes, we are going to get oh, there. Oh, I love the way you said yes. <laughs> you didn't even hesitate. Yes, and we. I think we're getting closer. I will say a, a key part of this, I believe, will be early diagnosis. So we have we already have some medications which treat heart disease, but often, particularly in cats, for the reasons we talked about, we start them too late to really be able to change the course of disease. Now, I don't know this for sure. I don't have a lot of data from some of these studies yet because we're just starting. But I believe if that disease is diagnosed very early and possibly in the case of a genetic mutation, if you know the cat has a genetic mutation that will ultimately weaken its heart, starting those cats on medication even before they have a heart murmur or have significant heart disease could really change the course of their disease. So I think this will come down to continuing to do this really important research, but also working with families and their cats of getting them into the veterinarian for that regular evaluation. Twice a year. Twice a year. And that veterinarian to pick up very early signs and also that cat family member being able to say, you know, uh, it may be subtle, but I've noticed something a little bit different here. And I'll tell you a very quick story. When I was an intern, my first year after graduating from veterinary school, I was on emergency duty the 4th of July. And I had a woman call me and say, and it was 11 p.m. and I was really tired and it was 4th of July. And she said, my cat will not eat its ice cream. And I thought, why are you up feeding your cat ice cream? (laughs) But she insisted that this was abnormal. And so she brought her cat in and that cat had heart disease. The first thing she noticed was her cat, subtle as it was, was behaving a little bit abnormal. So I think that's something the cat owner can pick up. You know, I say it all the time, anytime, anytime there's a change of behavior in your pet, there's a reason for it. And that reason is probably medical. Dr. Kate Muirs, I am so grateful to spend this time with you. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you so much for all you do and all of your support. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. I think very appropriately, I've been talking on this show about heat stroke in dogs and how that is greatly avoidable. But it's not only dogs. It's not only us who have a monopoly on heat stroke. Cats can get heat stroke, too. Increasingly, people are keeping their cats indoors, 76%. So, therefore, those cats will likely not get heat stroke. Also, cats don't run around. They don't fetch that tennis ball over and over and over like a dog will do. So, when they are outside, they generally just find shade and sit there. Also, their physiology is such. Having said that, they can and they do get heat stroke. Cats being cats may not tell us that they're not feeling well. They will mask signs of heat stroke, or unfortunately, you may not be able to see what's happening because if the cat's an outdoor cat, indoor-outdoor cat, and a half a mile from your house, you can't see that the cat is suffering. Unfortunately, some cats who don't come back 
That's the reason they don't come back, you know. Cats drinking in excess may be overheated. Panting, that's what dogs do. If a cat is doing that, that's a huge sign something is very wrong. Cats beginning to suffer from heat stroke will look like they're drunk with a wobbly gait. Another sign is that the cat will act confused. If you possibly can take the cat's temperature, any temperature 105 degrees or over, that's a sign that, okay, you have to visit the emergency veterinary clinic right now. Bottom line, if you think there is something wrong with your cat, for that matter, your dog, you're probably right. Cats do get heat stroke as well. So I'm a fan of keeping cats indoors. If it's 90 degrees outside, I'm a greater fan of keeping those cats indoors. We'll talk to you bright and early next week right here on WGN.